Maguire, Wallace to his left, and he's on his way. 10, 9, 5, 3, cut down! Wonderful try! We have a mole, Jim. Digs like a demented mole there. He just bursts through the defence. Just watch this. Spillane gathers beautifully. In go the Irish forwards. This is Lennon. Bursting into the 22. Back to Bradley. Back to Kiernan. The drop of goal is over. Michael Kiernan has done it. Good evening and welcome to the Milecast. Good evening. Good evening. I'm going to put forward a theory. The result of that Irish match against South Africa doesn't really matter all that much in the grand scheme of things, except in the fact that it was a test match against South Africa and it was really thrilling and enthralling to watch. Yeah, I think I think it means as much as uh, as any as any win over the world champions. You know, it's a great um, great to knock over the world champions at home or away, and it was. Uh, I think certainly you can take. Um, a positive from it in the style of play that Ireland weren't bullied by this big world renowned and you know you would have to say historically uh, this this particular South African pack would rate very highly against against any pack from the last 20 years I would say that going back to probably as good a pack as any since the 2007 Springboks um, so really um, just a, a, a really hard fought test match and uh, Fantastic for Ireland to get the win. Um, it leaves, you know, it keeps momentum building and allows Farrell um, to continue with how he wants to progress the team rather than having to react to a loss and uh, criticism that comes with it. Yeah, I, I think the way that Irish people look at a win against the world champions in November, the year before the World Cup, is it can only get worse. This means nothing. <laughs> yeah. It means nothing. No. I mean, have we peaked? I, don't, I literally can't tell the future. You know? Are you peaking too soon? And, you know, you wind back to 2018, 2019, and Ireland beat the All Blacks in 2018, and then went and got hammered by England in, in the Six Nations 2019, and then really went and got turned over, roasted, embarrassed by Wales and Cardiff in 2019. So, and no one, like, no one, like, that is No, nobody saw it coming. That isn't in, but not even no one saw it coming. No one refers to it. No one cares about that Six Nations where we got absolutely turned over left, right, and center. Um, all they refer to is the World Cup and the fact, you know, Japan beat us and then we got hammered by New Zealand and we peaked a year too early. And you're going, well, by the look of things, we peaked about, like, two or three months too early because we got beasted in the Six Nations. So, you know, would you rather the momentum stops and you have a crisis of confidence and you don't know what the problem is, or would you rather that you keep winning and you know you just ride it on till the next match? Like, I mean, I know what I'd rather do. One hundred percent. So it's the same. It's the same for every international coach as well. You know, as Ian Foster, if he leaves nothing else behind him, he will leave the great quote: "Win today, win tomorrow." Do you think? Uh, the win against the big beefy pack at South Africa sort of puts an end to the whole the building narrative that and string of results, frankly, that Ireland with the core of Leinster players cannot beat the superpower packs of 
Bulls, La Rochelle, or Saracens, France, yeah. Saracens. Yeah, well, there's certainly a rebuttal to it. I don't know if it'll stop it. Like it, it that might always be, um, that might always be the, the best way to beat uh, the, that Irish team is by overpowering them. But um, it, it's in this instance, it didn't work for the South Africans. There was a period in the first half, which was just ferocious. I was at the game and looking at on it. It was um, just, I think it was like eight carries out of nine were just like one out off nine. It was just like these lads taking it with a six or seven there meter was, running start. There were 17 phases and Hendricks got the ball. Williams got the ball yeah. once. Yeah. <laughs> that was 17. They're just careening into us. I got a hundred percent commitment with a good running start, a nice a nice ball placed out in front of them just so they could run onto it and just hit us at a hundred miles an hour. And um it's it's a like it's a, it's own kind of amazing. Um their commitments and their bravery to South Africans and just charging and their self belief is uh that that is sort of a I suppose t- I would find it intimidating defending against it, seeing that these lads are never going to stop. And, you know, when they get tired, they just bring on the other big oaks. Um, but Ireland did really well to hold them out. And, and the second part of that is the technical element of that Crusaders-type mall defence where the defending Ireland, in this case, like actually bind early uh, and and get ready to almost set up a scrum with a, a almost a pincer formation so like a five-man front row to defend them all and stop it before it gets ready now somebody pointed out a really good uh really interesting uh wrinkle to that which was that uh in contrast to the ireland a defense of a goal line mall against new zealand 15 on friday night in one of the goal line malls or the five meter malls ireland sent up all eight men into the into the mall immediately defensively, just leaving Connor Murray to to mark whoever was going to break out on the on the blind side. So they just recognised like we're not going to hold out eight spring box, an eight man spring box mall with with six or five. So everyone got their head in now. You know that does leave the opening for our guy to come off the back of the mall either blind or open. But they'd probably watched Ireland all the time defending with with six men in the mall and with one man open, one man blind off the mall and gone, there's going to be somebody there. Let's go and drive against the six. And they couldn't tell that there were eight people in the mall. Uh, so that was that was interesting. An interesting wrinkle to see. And going back to your question, and quoting another all-black coach and Steve Hansen asking about, oh, you know, what's going to decide today's match is kind of the same thing that decides every match. <laughs> the battle in the forwards. That... If you're outplayed in the forwards, if they have a bigger pack who are, you know, big guys who can play, um, chances are you are going to lose. Like, it, this isn't a Leinster and Ireland thing. This is this is an everybody thing. Mm. Like, this is a New Zealand thing. This is an England thing. This is a France thing. Like, this is what everybody comes up against. I watched a bit of a bit of France-Australian, you know, we can talk about it a bit more, but, like, Will Skelton came on, and he looked like a mountain playing against the French. Uh, is it, is it Taufafanua? Tau yeah. Fafanua came in, came on around about the same time and is an enormous man, but looks like uh, a svelte normal person compared to Will Skelton, who genuinely looks like something out of Game of Thrones. He is just enormous and he makes a difference at that level. Like mm. every single breakdown, he makes a difference. So, they, like, 
again, I think you sort of have to have a, a wider frame of reference when posed with the, the problems caused by a bigger pack. But I thought I thought Ireland's technique was really good. I guess the, the thing that struck me watching the match and talking about physicality was how well Stuart McCloskey played. So I watched it and I thought, gee, Janie, like he's, he's playing really well. And then I, I watched it again afterwards and I, I didn't watch all of it. You know, I pretty watched most of the first half. Uh, and McCluskey went off after 25, 26 minutes and rewatching it, I was there going, geez, he played really, really well. Yeah. To, to the extent that I was thinking to myself, after the New Zealand tour, I was of the opinion that Ireland's best centre partnership is, is Aki and Henshaw. Um, and I'm a big fan of Gary Ringrose, but I thought in the third test that gave us such physicality, such strength in the midfield, such a, such a solid defensive... Uh, and like Robbie's such a good defender. Like to play your best defender in that second centre channel means that not only are you harder to attack out wide and harder to break down, you can actually make offensive reads and offensive tackles. Now Gary Ringrose made offensive tackles. Like Gary Ringrose absolutely empty Peter Steph to taught to toy and it had has entered like has has had a few sort of big hits like that. So that's what I thought coming back from New Zealand. And then I was I was sort of thinking it through only today. And I was there going, if Bundy Aki had played like Stuart McCloskey had played, you'd be there sort of fast forwarding it and going, like, he, he has to start the next five test matches. He should be starting all the way through the Six Nations. And because it's McCloskey, I was there going, ah, oh, he's actually played really well, but like he'll be dropped. He won't even be in the squad once Bundy's back and Robbie Henshaw's back and like oh we you know the, the decision is going to be who plays first centre to Gary Ringrose's second centre and I thought oh hang on does that stack up like Stuart McCloskey has probably been the best domestic player in Ireland for the past season plus because he plays so often mm. and you've you, you know you highlighted in a recent pod and a recent discussion just how well he plays how much better Ulster play when he plays like we talked about the flat pass that he gave against uh, the second Mary game, in the yeah. second game. So, like, he's got that bit too. But, like, the amount of involvement that he had, how good he was in defense, how good he was in attack, how strong he is. And you go, like, why would you drop this bloke? Yeah. And the, the real thing for me that the challenge that faces Farrell, as opposed, and, and going back to 2019, at the beginning of 2019, like where like where did it go wrong for Joe is, um, and I think it's more than one thing, but any team is picking guys in form. I think, I think when you've got a winning team, that's probably the biggest challenge to handle is like, are you brave enough to, to move away from that winning team in order to win again? Or do you, do you stay with guys who are winning team, even when they're not playing that well? Because that, that's a hallmark of what goes wrong, I think. Yeah. It's like the Graham Taylor quote at the start of second, I want to win it, but win it better. Isn't that what he says? Brian Clough. Brian Clough, sorry. I always thought it was Graham Taylor. Um, but I, yeah, I was, I, like I'm a McCluskey fan and I was like, I thought like, of course McCluskey's going to play well in this game. It's actually a really good game for him. Um, it, it it sort of plays into his strengths. He's played against Dialende beforehand. Dialende doesn't have Am outside him, so their attack is going to be more straightforward. And if it's straightforward running Stuart McCluskey, 
like you're essentially running into a, a big choke tackling brick wall. And then in terms, like he gets go forward at, uh, in every game at every level. Like he's an international caliber player without an international career. And I would say the same about John Cooney as well. Like those, those guys are, I would never worry about them being called into an Irish squad at short notice or an, into an Irish team at short notice. And I wasn't worried about McCluskey. I thought he'd go well. He's really disappointing that he only lasted 28 minutes because he started so mm. well. Um, and, you know, Anki is, has had a, a great tour uh, of New Zealand, has, has hardly played, was banned, you know, f- for a, lo- a long ban. Now he'll be back in time for Australia, but we, we actually talked about it before previously, so there's not as much point in going over all ground, but like number 12, we're just so deep, so deep with three really, really good international quality players. Like including, like my, my, like I think Ringrose is the best back in Ireland this season thus far, you know, after one block, the seven game block of the URC down, I think he's the standout back in the country. Um, he's playing amazing. Yeah. But, and, and but uh, but Aki's only played a couple of games, and McCluskey's been great. And I I think that sh- if you're a coach, uh, you want competition. Like you don't want guys having the opportunity to coast and know that they're they're going to get called back in because there's no competition, or just that you know the selector has taken against one guy and is always going to revert to you and. I also think with the profile of players that we have, and in particular Ringrose, is that Ringrose covers... So Ringrose started 13, went into 12, and has played really well for Leinster on the wing. Mm. So he effectively yeah, point. covers across your back line. And then Joey seems to be the, the heir apparent still. He covers 10 and 15, which means like your bench is made. Now, I'm not saying like start Ringrose on the bench. You can start Ringrose at second centre. Um, and... You know, as, as long as he doesn't go off, you can cover your backline um, with having McCluskey or Aki on the bench. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So like, yeah. you, you can start, you can start Henshaw and Ringrose and Lowe and Mac Hansen, and you can have Joey covering ten of fifteen. Yeah, and you can have you can still have McCluskey as your sub. Yeah, because if you don't need the versatility goes, as much. If a winger goes off. Or a fullback goes off. Fullback goes off. You can actually move Mac Hansen to fullback and play ringer and move McCluskey in. And you have McCluskey and, and Henshaw. Yeah. So it's it, like it, it's a really good situation to be in. And so he was the one that stood out the most. I I thought that um, Finley Bealham did well. When he was on, did very well when he was on. Um, Jimmy O'Brien as well. Jimmy O'Brien did very well. And I, so what else like stood out for me was that the Ulster guys got in. Like previously, it was, it was, it's still predominantly Leinster, but it, it all is, is the Munster guys were sort of the next tranche in. And it, it really seemed difficult for Ulster guys to break in. But I just think Ulster's consistency and, the, the habits that they've sort of reinforced in themselves. And winning more. And winning more has meant that the likes of Balakun, the likes of McCluskey go in, start for Ireland and do well. And like in, in a big match, like Ulster are now beginning to... Because again, going back to that idea of competition, 
it's it's not just that Leinster are good. It's that you'd wonder, well, like how much better are they than the other provinces? How good are the other provinces? Like, can they actually produce international players? And you go, well, they can. They can produce international players. Like this is this is where you want to be. And I remember. Uh, Tony wrote about it years ago when Kidney was coaching going on oh, like you know our weak province is good for Ireland and you're there going no <laughs> like, <laughs> how on earth would you think that is like how on earth would you think that having strong provinces is bad for Ireland because of like like some sort of circumstantial window of one or two matches where like your your thesis is, is proven I'm making the quotes by the way um, no obviously like if you have four really strong domestic teams, it stands to reason that you have a much better chance of having a strong international team. And again, you could talk to the Welsh regions. But it's also when you're in a team that's winning and that's at the top of things, it's easier to get selected from that team without a shadow of a doubt. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, and it's like that's, Ulster have moved up and moved up and are more competitive and more competitive to the point where it's saying they've gone beyond competitive to being like a team that's, in semi-finals and quarter-finals on a yearly basis where Munster had been previously and now you, the tide is turning and it, it, there's more to it than that the reason that they're winning is because they have more better players as well um, but it is, is it is easier to get selected from a, a winning team but then you have to perform after you've been selected Correct. and their habits are good like they're, they're used to playing week in week out and and some guys have to some guys have to carry it yeah and McCluskey again and again and again shows up when he plays Ulster play better when he's missing Ulster play worse yeah absolutely and the other thing as well when we're talking about players who came in at short notice is like there's always a, a lot of discussion about depth in our Irish rugby and depth for the national team especially and how Farrell has to uh, sort of how he has to engineer depth, whereas, and I'm not saying he doesn't have to have a hand in selecting, uh, you know, sometimes trying a particular player in a in a particular game, but a lot of the time, like rugby, there are always going to be injuries. There's just always going to be injuries, and injury is a selector. It opens a door for some people, closes the door on other people, and then you have to be able to take your chance, like Beelham took his chance, getting a 40-minute workout against South Africa. Um, McCluskey didn't get a full run-out, but got the start. And then Jimmy O'Brien came in and took his chance. Uh, you know, he hasn't played 13 since uh, probably 18 months. I think he played his last 13 appearance for Leinster was against Zebra in the league back in 2021. Um, now, he played there previously for Leinster. And... But he's mostly played fullback and wing. But when he was asked to come in at 13, he came in and was able to do a job and contribute as well, especially with his uh, his uh, left-footed kicking out of defence. His tackling was excellent. And then he had that one nice break down the middle. And in general, his, his just general play is so tidy. Um, so it's a case of like when you get the chance through uh, our injury selection, you have to take the chance rather than waiting for the chance to be perfect or making excuses for why this wasn't a good time for you to play well or have other people make excuses on your behalf. I also thought it was a good win for Irish rugby because, like, with Bundy being suspended, with James Lowe being injured, with JGP just coming back from injury, with CJ having retired, I don't think there's any project players. I think it was all guys like okay, so Mac Hansen is and like has come up from Australia, but like his his mum, I think both his parents were Irish, and his mum mm. is Irish, you know. 
and he's not a project. He he sort of arrived like with a surfboard to Connacht and just turned out to be brilliant. And then like across the rest of the team, like it's 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 with the exception of McCluskey, like it's it's skinny Irish guys, you know, like and that was one of the features for me about that match against South Africa was that like it was it was a very technical, sharp, sort of well drilled performance of like this is what we have to do and like a very very Irish performance yeah in, in that sort of way you know um so I like it was it was it was a really like it was a really good win because South Africa were really up for it oh 100 like, percent like South Africa really well coached really certain about what they're trying to do um I can't remember where I read the I can't remember who said it. I, I read it last week, and it was with a member of the 2007 Springbok team. And Percy Montgomery interview? Percy Montgomery. And talked about that they had a plan that they were going like, well, look, our, our line out and our scrum were very good, but we had a plan that if they didn't go well for us, like how would we win the World Cup? And we'd win it in defence. You know, like we had... Um, like let me place kick. He, he didn't say that, you know. But like their place kicking was very good, and their kicking out of hand was good. And they basically just said, like, look, we let score you, even if we don't have the ball. Like we let score you. And again, I, I basically never really thought of it like that beforehand. Like just having having that sort of mindset. Um, and that's one of the things about the South African team has been in the URC, which I think was actually more noticeable when the Kings and the and the the cheetahs were in it particularly the cheetahs because the kings were useless terrible um but the cheetahs weren't like the cheetahs were difficult to play against they just didn't have very good players like they sort of had third tier south african players whereas now you're playing against like the first tier like the springboks and mm -hmm. they're brilliant like in in a number of ways but when you're playing against the the cheetahs you sort of go geez like they play a very different style of rugby than anything else you see in the league and like we're beating them because we're better than them but mm -hmm. like these guys aren't a pushover no, I remember the Cheetahs match quite well that we played in in the RDS, and I was like, I think it was the finish up 2012 or something like that. I was like, God, these guys are hard to play against. This is a bit of a miserable match. We're used to winning the most, most home matches in the league, about like 50 points to six. Uh, and I was like, geez, this is like much more like a winter rugby game. Uh, and they were just, and it was like in the spring. I was like, these guys are tough to play against. Mm. They don't go away either. The one thing I would say about this South African team, and which was really noticeable at the game, was how through as the game progressed, they kept on taking roles away from Willemse at out half. You know, he started as like taking restarts and goal kicking, kicking out of hand, and by the end of it, he wasn't even playing ten. He wasn't playing first receiver off in Broken Bay. Willie Larue was stepping in all the time, and. He um he's he's number ten for their their game against uh, France as well and dreams is yeah and it's it's a uh, I don't think he I don't think he would bounce back like from that performance that performance from him was like he's a really good player every time he gets the ball in broken play because he control every pass in the book he's really quick strong aggressive good balance. But as an out half, he uh, he failed the test. I think there's another side to that, and talked about picking players in form, but also how difficult it is for a coach to move away from a proven team, a winning team, is that he's trying to go into us like into a World Cup winning team, 
and without having won the World Cup. Mm. And they, there's a there's a big rump of that Springbok team have medals. And there's a bit of me thinks, do do they like do they trust any of the fellas who haven't won the World Cup? Because when Willie Leroux came on, like he was brilliant. When Faf came on, he was really influential. But you're going like those guys have the confidence internally, but also of the rest of the guys around them, mm. and uh, that's going to be a challenge. For it's a nice challenge. Yeah. For Nia Neighbor and 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 Razzy. Yeah. <laughs> like Razzy's the Razzy's the evil genius. The bad cop. Evil, yeah. yeah. The evil genius. Um. Their bomb squad isn't as strong as it was either. Like the difference between bringing on. Mostert, Snyman and Lowe compared to Mostert, Chaka, Smith and Dion Faree, who's like, who I'm, I'm amazed that like a sort of a 34-year-old rookie is getting played by the Springboks as part of the bomb squad. Is uh, Yeah. It's, it's a real surprising selection. Like, obviously they have Vermeulen to come back in. And he'll, I, if he doesn't start, he'll go into the... What's the name of that number eight from Province? Oh, Elric Lowe? No, oh no, Roos, Evan Roos. Evan Roos. Yeah. Have him. Yeah. The old uh, <coughs> adage of the pack decides who wins the game, the backs decide by how much. How much. And that eternal truth here is speaking, the Steve, Steve Hansen quote. One of the big things that struck me is that their 6 2 split came back to bite them because they had to put Cheslin Colby in as like their, their kicker. Uh, for Valencia when he sort of shot the bed on that second attempted goal. Um, like, Colby could barely kick the ball as a place kicker. And he's a he's a guy who's, uh, obviously he's played a lot of fullback, but he's been sort of shoehorned in there for the national teams. His first game for the national team as a fullback. And uh, he ended up sort of playing as their playmaker for, yeah. for 30 minutes. Until, like, until LaRue came on, he was. he like That's what I was sort of referring to. Like, they kept on moving Valencia gradually further and further away from responsibilities to turn him into just like a rugby player rather than an out half. It seemed um it seemed like it's the, the obvious limitation of the six two bench split. Uh, agreed. Because the other the other guy that when they brought on Dion Ferry at your second uh your second back row club, you're going like he made no way but Quagger was good when he came on. But Dion Ferry was just like that hasn't added anything. Yeah, it was uh it was uh, strange. I also thought it would be remiss of me uh, thinking of the match afterwards to go that Ireland made the decision to kick for the corner and scored a try from it. Josh's oh, Josh's mall try, and I was thinking to myself, hmm. I was so points on that. <laughs> hmm. Suppose I should really admit about that. Um, and had done the same thing against New Zealand. So. Mm. And funny I, enough, they didn't do it against France in the, the other the notable game that they lost yeah. last season. They yeah. they went for the points and said we can get back up there. The, the correct decision, and it didn't pan out. But I couldn't believe that Josh scored. I I, I was over the other side of the pitch and I was there going like, never scored this one. And even even when you're at the, like, I don't know if my eyes are going, but I couldn't see the replay that well. Like the chap beside me is going, oh yeah, he scored. He got did he. <laughs> The ball on on the on the TV, like the ball was placed very clearly. Yeah, I watched, I watched it at home. Yeah, like which are Josh's boots? You're sort of having to watch Josh run away and go, "There are his boots." Yeah, and then watch the replay for a second time to go, yeah. "Like where are his boots?" Yellow which legs? yellow soles with the black tape around the right hand. Which legs are his? Yeah. So, like, 
I don't think that's going to, like, it's certainly not going to go away for me, that that idea of do you kick for the post, do you kick for the corner, but that's two big matches where Ireland have elected to kick for the corner and they and it's worked for them. Yeah, first time. Um, it really, first time. It really feels like it's up to the players on the pitch entirely. They don't yeah. have, they don't, they don't have a, they have a, a, between Johnny and James Ryan as pack leader or line out caller, it really seems to be in their hands. Yes, I agree. Um and I, incorrectly coached. <laughs> imagine that, you know, it seems like part of Farrell kind of empowering the team yeah. to feel their vibes out, live their life <laughs> on the pitch. <laughs> uh, James Ryan had a great game. Um, he was really, uh, really impressive in, in all regards uh, in terms of his his breakdown work was outstanding. Um, he obviously... You know, he, he's, he does move around the pitch well for such a big man. He, he sort of always has. Line-out play, the defensive line-out that he stole, the steal he got on, on um, even Ed's even had a really good game. He was very good. Yeah, he's savage. Uh, but the, the, I know the he tapped his hand rather than tapping the ball, but, like, got the result. Um, and it was great to see him play so well and... Like I sort of, ex- I sort of expected him to play well. I have to say, I thought he played well in New Zealand, but you know that big, um, the the, the box are always a huge challenge at set pieces. They're really well coached at set pieces as well as being massive, and to come away when you're the, you know the like a line out caller and tight head scrummager, and to come out with better than parity in both of those. Like it's a, it was a big day for him. Because he hadn't played well this season for Leinster. No. He played like he played worse than Ross Maloney in all the matches that they played yeah. together. Yeah. Or that they were replacing each other or whatever. Like and you're sort of Reiner's Reiner's kind of burnt himself out after his New game off the know? bench against Ulster was um, dreadful. So like Peter O'Mahony, he is he seems to be either able to or else just it's happening whether he wants it or not, saving his best performances for international matches mm. now. Because Amani played really well and hasn't played particularly well for Munster this season. No, but like he has played, he's played the best rugby of his career otherwise for Ireland. Yes. Over the last 12 months, 18 months. He's been great. Good, really good again in this game. Doris was great. Like every, everyone was great. Everyone was great. I, I guess the fact that. Uh, Hendy and Kelleher were unavailable um, is encouraging that they come back into the eight or they come back into the whatever uh, 13 how many subs eight and, yeah, eight and five yeah, yeah. The, the 13 forwards um, both of those would give you a big impact coming off the bench yeah um, and I think the the left footed kicking option of uh, of uh, Jimmy sort of helped alleviate uh, to, to a certain degree the absence of James Lowe. Yeah, I agree. That um, like I still like they don't they, they still don't give the penalties on the right hand side to the left footers, and you just start going, oh, why not? Like, yeah, Sexton's gonna squeeze out ten meters here. There was why? one where it was like it was a genuine ten meters. You know, you yeah, you'd throw it that far with your bad hand. Yeah, like, you only have like five meters between you and the touchline. You're kicking it further meter towards the touchline. You know, with your right foot. I I agree. I I don't know why, 
But um, like uh, that comes into moving slightly sideways. Like with, I think it's become sort of a, a sort of a you know experienced rugby fan trope to like absolutely gnash your teeth about somebody missing touch from a penalty kick and obviously it's a mistake like I'm not saying it's not a mistake and I'm not saying it's not important but like I was thinking of Frawley's one in particular in the A game where you had a great long kick it was actually over the touchline by about a foot and a half and the New Zealand I think full back or left where Ruben Love or TJ Lamb caught it like with their arms out of trying and kept it in and there's one oh you missed touch and you're going like it's bad you know, it's not a fucking sin. Like, I'll tell you what is a sin, is kicking it dead. Like, Oh, kicking it dead or <laughs> kicking it, like, missing touch. But, like, like Willems had one where he missed touch infield by about eight metres. And Balakum caught it. Like, just thought that was a shocking kick. But, like, it's, like, I would, not so I would rather, I would rather retain the ball and it just go 10 metres. But, like, I'm not fucking happy with that. If somebody has a kick which is over the touchline and is rescued by a good piece of play and you're 35 metres further down the pitch... You know, or sorry, you would have been thirty-five or forty meters down the pitch. I don't automatically think like that's a fucking sin. You're dropped. You should never play. And have I just think like mm, good play from them. Probably bit off like a few more meters than you could chew. But I, I do think getting penalty kicks, you should be looking to put the ball twenty-five meters minimum down the pitch. Yeah, I like anybody I, can fucking hammer it into touch and get ten meters. Like, Hell. Someone needs to stop him. Referee blows for half time. Let's talk about Ireland A versus the New Zealand 15, an All Blacks 15, in fact. <clears throat> we talked a little bit the last time around about the number of games that Ireland's uh, like a second string international team or third string international team in some cases played and how unusual it was. I think this is the first one where it felt like the team didn't know why it was playing. Watching it, it felt like all the players were trying to further their own careers and none of them was actually playing a match against New Zealand who were there to absolutely like smash them in the tackle, turn the ball over and run in tries from 40 yards like any All Blacks team would do. And these guys looked like they were trying to go through the motions. Yeah, well, I, I, not so much through the... Well, I suppose through the motions is what I'm saying. Like they were trying to play... Run their moves. And, run a certain yeah. shape. And, you know, and some of the rugby fell between the cracks, like having to knock the carrier down, having to win your own ruck ball and actually resource the rucks properly. Like we do have to pay an enormous amount of energy expenditure on winning quick ruck ball. And in this, we, like sometimes we didn't have a, a single forward going to a ruck. Like when I say sometimes, like a, a good few times, it was fucking, you're going like, where, where is our entire back row? And, you know, they're dotted. Like, one is leading this pod, one is leading this pod, and one is stationed out in the wing. You're going, like, who's going to win the fucking ball, lads? You know, is it always the front five? Because, like, you have front five guys now in the pod giving passes as well. So it was um, it was a team which, you know, on the other side of this, that was a team which was put out and which I would have spent the previous, I think they were in camp for 10 days beforehand. I would have spent the previous 10 days mostly, you know, playing defence as the Springboks versus Ireland. But it was, uh, I, I didn't expect us to win at all. It was a worse loss than I did expect, though. I think this Irish coaching ticket has just spent its 
time proving me wrong um, because they, they've certainly surpassed the expectations I had after their first season. And I would have been very dismissive of the idea of heads up rugby. So going back briefly to the Ireland Springbok match and the the uh, Mac Hansen try, like was an excellent example of, of heads up rugby and guys making decisions very, very quickly and then having the, excuse me, the skill set to be able to profit from it and finishing off with a, with a, a brilliant try. Um, but... Again, the weakness of like that didn't happen overnight. Like that, th- that was that was a few years in the making before you realised, geez, Ireland aren't shit. <laughs> like we've been shit for a while, and all of a sudden we're we're actually pretty good. And then we've been consistently good for more than a year now. To you know, a scratch team where like if they're playing heads up rugby as a scratch team, like it's Jesus, it's it's a hard you know, it's it's a hard furrow to plow. Um, go back to the the two matches against the Maori and like how bad Ireland they or how bad Ireland midweek were in the first match and how much better they were two weeks later with two weeks to train together or I don't know if they're tra- how much they were training together as a team and how much they were having to run patterns against against the firsts but they were miles better the second time mm. around um disappointing in that the emerging team had gone well that they couldn't sort of tap into that a bit more, but against like a different caliber of I I didn't see it, but like the first name that came to mind when I I heard who New Zealand had played was Damien McKenzie, and I was like Jesus, that like Damien McKenzie's a class act, and to be in the RDS on a Friday evening against oh, the team I loved that it. isn't, it was great. That isn't at us, you're going like he is going to run riot. He is yeah. like this guy is sharp. He could do it all, and he's probably at the peak of his powers. Like he he's a guy. Who, like, you know, he's captain the first half of his twenties, but like this is he's he's not a big barnstorming guy. This is a guy who's like this guy is going to be fit when he's sixty something. Like he's he's born fit, he'll die fit, you know. So like when he's when he's in the second half of his twenties, you're going like this guy is going to be at the absolute peak of his powers. And you were saying he was just uh, it was worth a, the price of admission. Yeah, it was a complete pleasure to watch him. Yeah, he he can he does does everything well, has every pass every kick goal case was a beautiful draw really fast inventive he's a brave decision maker uh yeah there's nothing like i thought it was it was amazing to see the the, the game was really the, the setting of the game was really interesting to play to see the all blacks do the hacker in the rds between the hedges you know it was uh it was really it felt much more like um uh, much more like a rugby game and less like a spectacle, even though that part is is a spectacle. And it was a little bit, well, like some of it was super cack-handed. Like they played this fucking little jags of music left, right, and center, which is just like they they like there'd be the break and play for like thirty seconds, and then like thirty five seconds, the player, the water boys are running off the pitch, and they'd start playing like fucking ten seconds of board to run, or the boys are back. And it was really cack-handed. So it was like it wasn't a slick, smooth event. Like there was some amazing rugby from uh, from the Kiwis, from Sean Stevenson, from uh, from Damien McKenzie, from Perinar, from Roger Tuavisa Shek, who probably wasn't as good as I thought he, he could be. Um, but it was it was uh, yeah, it was a really interesting game, really enjoyable game to be at, uh, and to see the this yeah, basically like a 
junior All Blacks, All Black A, New Zealand 15 team, which had like TJ Perrin in it and, and Damian McKenzie in it. Uh, and like both of them playing very well. Uh, and it was like, it was, it brought me back to, actually, I just sort of figured it out. It brought me back to like what it used to be like when the All Blacks would show up in the 90s, like or 89 or 92. 93 or 96 95 96 yeah when like there were some like different planet to ireland like this was like it was a real like it was that sort of game where you were basically going to see the all blacks and then like see the irish team as well well there's two things actually two things to consider with this you both said a couple of weeks ago it should have been on in ravenhill and having been at it i was like this should have been on in ravenhill because mm. as a fairly regular attendee of the RDS. I was like, this is weird. Like, Leinster aren't running this game. It's Something's off about it. And then that fucking music thing started. So <laughs> it really, really, really annoyed me. Um, the second thing was more about the game that's taking place later on this week. And you said, it would. I like kind of feel like I wish Leinster had put out, you know, a remainder of Leinster team against an all-black touring team. Uh, oh, I would have loved that. And just that sense that like when you put together you know a team even if it's maybe got less talent than the um irish a team that they have that sense of purpose where they just want to win the rugby match yeah and like they, they they are they're up for the fight and they're probably going to lose the fight but they go through the fight whereas that team was sort of well, that's what i said going through the motions they didn't re- you know they didn't react to the fact that they were getting smashed until about 40 35 minutes in they scored a lovely try and then they just continue to drop the ball and get smashed more. Um, that's what it was. That's what was the. That was what was disappointing to me about that team because they did realise it in that second game against the New Zealand Mary. <clears throat> Keith Earls played with them, and they scored that like the quick smart try, and they just showed oh we're we're more powerful than this team. They're a scratch team as well. We can beat these lads. They they ground them out, and then they played some nice rugby as well. But in this match, it seemed like they were. Oh yeah, we've had these successful games against these like much much lower quality teams, and it felt like if we do all the same things, we'll get similar results. And they just it didn't survive contact with the enemy, as it were. No, absolutely, and yeah, like I I think both of those. If that game had been up in Ravenhill, I don't think like the the result would have been different. You know, it's the same team, uh, but it would have been good for for Ravenhill and and the atmosphere to get to move international rugby away from Dublin. But also on the same hand, I would have loved to have seen like Leinster's, Leinster's like the, the hard-working men of Leinster here, Ed Byrne, Luke McGrath, Ross Byrne, Ross Maloney, Reese play in a Leinster team against that, uh, that New Zealand 15 in front of it, like a full RDS. But people like urging Leinster just go and, and win and, and get a scalp. Yeah, and they because they, they train together all the time. Yeah. And they, they'd have it as a real focus going, like, this is a huge match for us. Because Gary Doyle wrote that article about, like, Ulster beating the Aussies. And then Monster. there was... No, no, but no. He, uh, this is about Ulster. But oh, then there the was one ones. about um, the 92 Munster team beating the Aussies. Yeah, on Wednesday afternoon. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that game was dirty. Bob Dwight was, he was livid. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, did yeah, Gary Doyle like, write that as well? Uh, he, did. he probably did, yeah. Yeah, was, yeah. yeah. I watched that game, I think I was homesick for school, <laughs> intentionally. 
So, yeah, like, definitely teams that, that train together and, like, have a purpose and, like, have a plan for that match are miles better to watch. So, yeah, disappointed by the sound. It doesn't sound, it doesn't sound like anybody played well. Uh, no, there were certain players Diego, who... Said, Max yeah, Stegen Max Stegen played, played well. well. I thought Jerry Lockman held up his end, I thought. Lovely passer. Yeah, he's a good passer, yeah. Um, I thought Tom Tool did okay. Uh, Kim Prendergast was good. And I was a little bit, I wouldn't say iffy about him, but I thought, like... Yeah, no, I was a little bit iffy about him. I thought he was probably our best best player over the course. I mean, he's a huge engine. That guy is seriously fit, really competitive, keeps on going. Um... And then, yeah, Calvin Nash, uh, who who played well on his in his first appearance in an Irish jersey since playing for the under twenties back in uh, twenty seventeen. So he was good. Shane Daly had had a good few moments when he came on as a sub for Larry. But like the the best players were Prendergast, Nash, Deegan, Marty Moore did okay when he came on, um, and they like but it, Jesus like most players like you know it's, of the twenty three I say fifteen of them were bad. Mm. or like no, you know neither Frawley nor like Crowley made some some sort of bad mistakes when he came on and people are very positive about him but like he's just like those are mistakes thrown an intercept is a mistake uh, Frawley did okay made a few made a few mistakes Coombs didn't have a good game Timmy had a poor game um, Hume had a bad game Osborne did okay you know, so, but most, most of them, like, nobody made, like, a big positive impact. Like, Nash and Mash and Prendergast were the, sort of the best of a, a bad bunch, but nobody lit it up. Nobody. Except for, like... Sean Stevens. Sean Stevens and Danny McKenzie. Which, frankly, like, yeah, that guy was on course to be the star of the last World Cup, and then he got a terrible yeah. injury. So, like... It was just great to see him play rugby. He, it was. What a, what he a, was, what a gem. He is player. deadly. Only when I saw the team that I realized how talented a New Zealand side that was. And the very fact that they didn't call it like the New Zealand 15, they called it the All Blacks 15. That, would, that seems sort of somewhat significant to me. Like it's very close to being an international team. Yeah, well, no, wonder they, no wonder they smashed them. Yeah, so like TJ Paradara, Tammy McKenzie, Roger Tuovasashek is like a Dali messenger, like literally the best player in rugby league. You know, if I think once... Maybe World Cup, maybe World Cup, like best player in the World Cup as well. Uh, and then Braden Enor, who's like a Crusaders, he's probably got about, he's certainly got three Super Rugby medals, if not four. Yeah. He's an all black. Yeah. Like that midfield is fucking savage. Thunder's in there. That'll knock the wind out of him. He just bursts through the defense. In terms of selection for the Fiji game, what would you like to see? Who would you like to see picked to start? Uh, Jimmy O'Brien at fullback because I think that the second string fullback, the second choice fullback position hasn't been filled. I think it's going to be between Jimmy O'Brien and, and Mac Hansen. Uh, I'd pick Balakum and Hansen uh, as they were. Uh, Stuart McCluskey if he's available at 12 and, and uh, Robbie Henshaw at 13 if he's available. Um <sighs> I, who would I like? I'd, I'd sort of like to see Crowley at 10 uh, and then put JGP inside him. And then eight Conan, six Prendergast, S- seven. I'd actually. I'd go, I'd go with, with 
with Penny over over Timoney on the on the basis of Timoney's uh, last game. Like I don't I don't think I'm the only one there because Scott Penny wasn't s- selected in the uh, in the Irish A23 and wasn't obviously selected in the Ireland 23 and has been boosted from the Ireland A squad up into the senior squad on the basis of having not played rugby at the weekend. So I think like I'm not the only person who thought that Timney didn't have a good game. And then second row is Hendo and probably, probably who would I like to see Hendo and Byrne? Um, it'll probably be Hendo and Treadwell. And then, uh, I'd like to see Kean on on one, beat him on the other, and and uh, sort of like to see Dan Sheehan again. Mm. I know he like plays all the games, but like he's really good. He's young. He's big, strong, fit. Like that's the team I'd like to see. I think they'll probably go with Herring. Um, but I prefer to see Sheehan play just because like I think he's a better player. Mm. He didn't change very many people last year. Between which game and which uh, game? Between any of the matches in the, I don't think so. Anyway, in the in the autumn internationals, I think he played very similar team. You can find out very quickly, but I thought he played a very similar team for all three. Could we play in our middle game last year? Yeah, we played Japan first. Sorry. Yeah, New Zealand, New Zealand second, Argentina, and Argentina last. So I think he picked a very strong team to play against uh, Japan. Yeah, he did. Like, we won 60 points to five. He picked Porter, Kelleher, Furlong, Byrne, Reiner, Luncher, Josh, Conan, JGP, Johnny, Lowe, Bundy, Ringer, Conway, Keenan. Yeah. Yeah, like, I'd sort of like to see... Kind of, you feel like it'd be mostly the bench. The only players you, you, you are, like... Thinking of throwing in or at ten, at seven, they seem to be the kind of question yeah, mark positions. Yeah, like I think I think it's unfortunate. Obviously, it's unfortunate for any player to be missing out. Will Connors would be a great addition uh, to this squad. Were he were he fit and available? Um, I'd like like he was so good for you know the five games he played for Leinster at the start of this season. He's such a good player. I'd love to see him back in Irish colours. Like he's played in the Six Nations already, started in the Six Nations or in two Six Nations in 2020 and 2021. Um, and like, I just, I do like, like, we both like and rate Crowley. Um, I think Crowley's potentially a very good player. Might be a reach. So fuck it. Just watch this. Great possible play, though. This shows how dangerous they are with the ball in the hands. Digs like a demented mole there. Elsewhere in the international world, there's a really exciting game, a couple of really exciting close games between uh, France and Australia, and then, well, England versus Argentina seems like it was definitely close. Um, a lot of penalties in the rain, judging by the incredibly crap highlights package that I watched. Let me, let me start about crap highlights packages. It seems to be only one team who knows how to put together a highlights package, and that's the bloody All Blacks. 15 minutes of New Zealand versus Japan highlights. I understood what happened in the game. I saw all the incidents. I know why the penalties and where the tries came from. Rather than some lad from whoever's doing the job for the Autumn International Series YouTube channel just chopping together goal kicks. (laughs) (laughs) 
I'm sorry, <laughs> what the fuck is that? Like, you might as well just, just don't put up highlights. Don't bother. Don't pay that lad to chop up that video that badly. Anyway, how is the France-Australia game? Yeah, how is the France-Australia uh, The fellow who owns Amazon Prime or who uh, doesn't own it, but it. I don't know how. Yeah. Um, it, it was su- surprisingly uh, competitive performance from Australia. I, I recognize James Slipper's name and all these guys playing for Australia. I'm just like, where on earth? Like, who, who? are all these guys? Yeah, Nick White. Uh, and Nick White, yeah. Um, and and Ala, Ala Toa's brother. They were re, like just competitive, um, assured, not like um, had came out the wrong side of territory, came out the wrong side of possession, but didn't really seem under pressure from France all that much. Like prepared to back themselves, and then of course the name I did recognize was the Mountain. So. They brought on Will Sketon in the second half. Like, what a, what a guy to have to bring off the bench. Or else they start him. But, like, he's he's a super rugby player. He should have 100 caps. He's a one-man mall. Or he's a one-man rook. Yeah. Or, like... But he he's goes a into, Dread Pilot Roberts. Yeah. Oh, man. Like he, and he goes into first receiver. He's got nice hands. And he's, like, no, he's unplayable. Like, you just see him. Like, he's, he's absolutely incredible. So, what struck me... France have been very consistent with the team that they've picked. And the challenge for France is if players go out of form, do they stick with them? Because, like, uh, DuPont played all right, but, like, all right for DuPont. So as as a scrum half, he was very good. At the, like, his pass is very sharp. Um, you know, he's got a great handoff, all that sort of stuff. But, like, he didn't create any magic whatsoever. And as a consequence, France were fairly ordinary. Like, they, they've, you know, like, they miss uh, Vakatawa in the middle of the pitch. You know, their midfield isn't great. Dante, so, and Dante and Fiku are very good when they're going forward. And they're, yeah. like, Fiku's a good defender. But, like... Line break wise, creativity wise, I wouldn't have either of them um, above the Irish centres. Mm-hmm. Like I think Ireland have four centres as good as France's best two, and we're saying like Ireland have good centres, but um, Aldrich was very very competent, yeah. uh, as as so often is the case, and Penno's just like a genius. And like, how how did how did Aldrich and Olivon play together? In, in the back row is there um, is it a good blend or is no, it no not particularly no. Olivan didn't like maybe France had an undersized back five with Waki and was it Jalange playing second row uh, Flamont Flamont playing second row um, no I wasn't I wasn't balled over by wasn't balled over by Olivan um, like I, I don't watch top fourteen to like mm. to sort of recommend, but ideally France would have someone quicker playing on the flank for them rather than somebody rangy, um, or you know they'd have a breakdown machine. But like the French don't tend to no. produce breakdown nope. machines. Like well, I mean, Aldrich's a breakdown machine, mm. but they don't produce like a little nuggety. Yeah, their hookers are there. They're yeah, jackals. Yeah, um, kind of jackal and. They missed having a big lump in the second row. They missed having Williams. I was surprised they didn't start Taufafanua. So was I. Um, like very, very lightweight 
second row. Yeah. Like, really unable to... Flamont is a real giraffe. And Wokey's, like, a blindside. Yeah. So, you know, like, you'd, you'd fancy Ireland to beat France in, in Lansdowne Road. Um, whereas I thought Australia, I, I thought Valentini was very good. I thought um, mm, Tupu, the, the tight head. Oh, Tongan Thor. Uh, I thought he was very good. thought Jane Slipper was very good. Um, and yeah, just the Aussies, the, the Aussies look confident without being like particularly gifted or talented. Like they, they, they've, they've no... Like, they've no Giddo, they've no Tim Horan, they've no Campo. Like, Reese Hodge is still in their 23. Yeah. Like, as much and all as I like Reese Hodge, yeah. like he's, he's a, not as you follow. He's a military medium. When I say that, I mean as you follow as a rugby player, not as a person, obviously. Yeah, but he's like, you know, Reese Hodge is a fairly military medium kind of fullback center. But, Mega boot wearer. Yeah, but like, the. the Presume the Aussies will all get on with each other, like, and just gaff around the place for the rest of their tour, and there'll be a challenge for Ireland because they're tough to beat. Mm. England keep losing. Uh, what a great plan to go into a World Cup with, yeah? Yeah. Because it's well, all I mean, about the World Cup. So they can lose every game until then, and it's fine. Right? Yeah, yeah. Well, if you're, if you're concerned about Ireland being really sharp the year before the World Cup, then, you know, you'd have no qualms about England. The thing about watching England is it makes you appreciate how sharp and well-drilled Ireland are. Like, England put together a few patches of play, and often Eddie Jones' teams do, and England playing in Twickenham do. So if you combine the two, where you go, God, you can actually see what they're trying to do here. You, you know, this looks really good. I don't see the point of playing Mario Otoje on the blind side. It's just a waste of a brilliant second row. Like you, you can you can pick because he's almost guaranteed to play. He never seems to be injured. He's super fit. He's really strong. Um, he's as good in the 79th minute as he is in the first minute. Like you've no reason to take him off. So then you're sort of going, well, like Johnny Hill isn't that far off. He's not. He's not as good as Mario Otoje and any of those sort of things. But like you can play 80 minutes. So mm. it means you can pick five guys on the bench and you can pick like basically a sub open side and another sub back row who can cover the second row. You can pick Courtney Laws if that's what you want to yeah. do, right? Because um, you don't need to change your second row. Like Mario Toje, like he never gets injured. Yeah. So I don't, whereas at second row, he's just, he's just better. Like he's better than he is in the blind side. But England, like just so sloppy compared to Ireland getting into their shape, getting into their pattern. Because you look at that team and you go, that's it's pretty much their first team. It's a good team. It's Genge, so, Cowan, Dickey, Sinclair, Johnny Hill, Atoje, Curry, Billy, Ma Billy Marrow's on the bench. Um, that guy who came on at scrum half with the Van Porfleet. Von Porfleet. He's uh, good. And Youngs, who's got like over hundred caps, and then Marcus Smith, Farrell, Smith, and and all the guys. Manu. And you go like it's it's like it's their first choice team. Yeah, Argentina matched them physically. Um, with the Bronca and didn't shoot themselves in the foot you know like but the main thing was just they, they matched England physically and England just kind of weren't like they weren't tuned in or something yeah. like that and like I saw the English team and I thought like Jesus, Jesus that's a nice. really really strong English team like they're missing Jamie George who's got He's apparently going to be on his way back. He'd broken metatarsus for Saracens. Courtney Law is there with a head knock. And then Johnny May apparently is coming back after two weeks from a dislocated elbow, which 
man, I would not be want to be the fucking orthopod who has signed off on that. That shit is going to end in tears. <laughs> a dislocated fucking elbow. You know, two weeks will be grand. Man, cuts don't even need to get a paper cut only in two weeks. But England, like, really strong team. And you, like, to be, to, to lose at home to Argentina. Like, I don't know how much prep time Argentina have. No. Uh, so Czech was coaching Lebanon about 10 days ago. Yeah. And, like, I, I don't know where all these guys are playing. Like, they're, they're pretty better off not playing for the Hagiwaras. We, know, where, we it's, know it's an odd one. We know where Buffetti's playing in fucking Edinburgh, which is a mystery. <laughs> that fella's a me- I remember when he when uh, Edinburgh turned up against Leicester or Leinster last year in the RDS. Immelman was fifteen, and Buffetti was like eleven years ago. I'm like, how did these guys get? Like, I remember when Racing were trying to get Buffetti, and they they that was one of the reasons why like Zebo wasn't resigned. They're going, how the fuck did this fella end up in Edinburgh? He is. It struck me in watching those incredibly shitly edited highlights that uh, it was a bit like their win over the All Blacks, where they just tackled everyone to a standstill. And in that game, they were so diligent to get away from the breakdown and making sure there was no penalties. And you know, it'd be another phase, another phase, and they just tackle and tackle and stop people in their tracks and defend until the other team made yeah. a mistake. And and they really don't like the English. I don't want to dismiss thing. Argentina's performance because I don't think it was anything like as good as that performance against New Zealand. Like it was more just that England England didn't help themselves. Like, like they're they're not sharp, you know. England um, finished third last year in the Six Nations and fifth the year before. But Argentina are physical and Argentina have good players, you yeah. know. And I think. That was more what stood out to me was that like the Pumas are a threat against any team in you know on a, a, I don't know on their day and a one off. No, all, all but of that in a tournament stuff. is what you're gonna say. They're a really good tournament team. Yeah, and Cheka took his last, not his last, but his second last tournament team to the World Cup final after a year of coaching them. Yeah, in 2015. So I think they're in the easier half of the draw. Mm-hmm. Like Pumas could have a good. Could have a good World Cup. 